You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. This episode is about psychedelics, what they are, what they are not, various types of psychedelics, some scientific research in psychedelics, and Carlos shares some personal experiences. Now, this is a bit of a sensitive subject, but psychedelics are becoming more normalized in America these days, and it's a subject that's worth talking about. So let's talk about it. I've got a train for you. Yeah? Do you really? You want to ride this train for a moment? Yeah, let's ride this train. Maybe even a long moment? Yeah. To fathom hell or soar angelic, just take a pinch of psychedelic. <laughs> I love it. Isn't that cool? I love it. You know who said that? No. The person who coined the phrase psychedelics. Ah, tell me about that. Uh, Humphrey Osmond. He was a psychiatrist. I think he was from the UK. And since that's kind of the topic of tonight is yeah. this, you know, taboo, but slowly becoming less taboo topic right. of psychedelics. I figured we'd start with the very guy who Coin the phrase. Coin the term. You know, I love it. You know, yeah. I mean, years ago, I had mentioned something. We had a, a brief conversation about this topic, mm-hmm. and I had used the word hallucinogen. Ah. And you had told me that you didn't like that word. You preferred the word psychedelic. Mm-hmm. It's funny how many years later I look back, and that, that seems so obvious to me now. It does. And, and I think, and this is something we're going to get into tonight, right, mm-hmm. is, is the criminalization of these, of these substances. And decriminalization. And decriminalization, right? So it's a two-sided coin there. Mm-hmm. Um, the word hallucinogen is like the word hallucination, right? Mm-hmm. To generate hallucinations, which is a pathological term. And it's the wrong term. It is. For this. It's Perceiving something that actually isn't there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but um, one of the reasons we're doing this particular episode is because we were inspired by some current events and it caused us to start talking about this and we decided that we need to do a show, which is... Um, uh, Denver oh. in Colorado. It's right? a hot topic. It is yeah. a hot topic right mm-hmm. now. Um, just uh, voted to decriminalize psilocybin or magic mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, the city, not the, in the state. City. Yeah, in the city. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, that was a big topic. It was, it was all over social media and um, uh, just sort of indicated that this was a topic for us to get into tonight. It is. It's current and... Even if it weren't current, the idea of our show has, has been about um, authenticity, exploration, excellence, um, you know, really delving into things. And outside of the misuse that sometimes occurs, the thing itself, you know, psychedelics, uh, plant medicines, etc., um, there's a, a definite current within that that has always, from the very beginning, and will probably always be, involved in deep exploration, deep transformation, and not at all concerned with just getting high or something like that. And so, so it kind of runs along the subject matter to a certain degree, maybe parallel to what mm. we've talked about a lot. And it's certainly been maybe a stimulant, um, to use another term, for a lot of discovery. Yeah, sure. You know, a lot of the people we've interviewed and, you know, myself and, you know, it's it's been a source of learning, a source of exploration. Sure, sure, yeah. And you know, um, 
our show is about health creativity and the quest for excellence. And what if there was a pill that has been shown in many, many facets of healthcare to improve health? And what if this pill also was shown to boost creativity exponentially? I mean, to the point where breakthroughs happen in industries, right? And what if this same pill really did put a person on an inner journey towards a better version of themselves, a quest for excellence. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about things that actually have been demonstrated to do all of those things. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the, these are, these are substances and these are things we're going to get into that we're, and we're talking about actual research, clinical trials that show that these kinds of substances decrease suicide risk, uh, depression, anxiety, chronic pain, you know, migraines, cluster headaches, all these kinds of things, you know? And uh, if anybody hears that there was a breakthrough medication that could do all those things, we'd be very, very excited about it. But when we reveal that that breakthrough medication is not new at all, it's an ancient plant medicine or a psychedelic drug, then we can feel the stigma start to settle in. I think that a lot of that stigma comes along with, you know, almost a 1950s style mentality. Nothing wrong with the 1950s per se, but mm-hmm. um, there's this idea of, of kind of everything having to fit into neat little boxes. And there's, there's sort of like a Hollywood um, impression we get of that 1950s style yeah. thinking, you know, the, yeah. I don't know. Um, we, we just see it in all the movies and the TV shows <laughs> and, and there's, a, there's a style. I mean, there's a definite kind of like mindset that comes along with that. It's oversimplified. Um, you know, it, it's, it's trusting authority figures, you know, especially with white coats on and, you know, trust what the authorities say, you know, that, that starts to become a little bit, um, offensive after a while. Like, you know, you're going to, you're going to ask me to trust one more time, really? Yeah. The same people who lied for 40 years about this, you know, and then it's, it's natural to have a little bit of, uh, suspicion. Yeah. Yeah. Along with, you know, I'm not saying that, that that it's a great idea to just sort of reject everything you hear. I'm not saying that, but by now, after you start to accrue um, all of these examples of, of being lied to and, and studies being fudged or outright, you know, mm-hmm. suppressed or yeah. or completely, um, you know, the opposite intention, right, yeah, uh, right. being shown. After a while, um, anyone paying attention would be justified in in being a bit suspicious. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I'm having an image of something you said just a little bit ago about, about trusting people in white coats. Mm -hmm. What's funny is when uh, psychedelic substances were first, you know, really being researched, you know, um, they sort of started to, to really come on the scene in the forties and then like in the fifties and early sixties, there was a lot going on Mm -hmm. there was, it were, it was men in white coats that were studying these things, the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration uh, had reported that from 1950 to 1965, there were over a thousand scientific papers, um, you know, dozens of books and like multiple international conferences on psychedelics. 15 years worth. Yeah, 15 years. And then it all ended when we had the um, Controlled Substances Act. Right. Right. Uh, which shut all that down. And I know you and I had both um, read uh, an article, and this is information that's easily findable on the internet, um, 
which was which came from an interview from John Ehrlichman, mm-hmm. who was uh, a Nixon advisor. Mm-hmm. And I've actually got the quote right here. Great. Okay, so I'm going to read it because we're talking about suspicion and who do we trust and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And this is what they had to say. Okay, quote, uh, the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. End quote. Hmm. <laughs> Smoking gun. And the gun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not even hiding it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean? It's just, it's, it's, it's upsetting and sad. And the reason to me it's so upsetting um, is because um, of the tremendous benefit that those substances have on people that really, really, really need those benefits. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's just <laughs> really criminal to, to, to do that. It is. Um, nowadays, there are so many references that um, anyone who um, wants to look into it, like you say, you know, they, they could easily find it. I mean, I remember um, just even the book by Jay Stevens, Storming Heaven. Uh, it talks a lot about the uh, CIA and their agenda and, and the way they integrated into the hippie movement and various uh, key players like Ken Kesey and, and uh, Timothy Leary and, uh, you know, a variety of folks that were mm-hmm. involved in being influencers mm-hmm. and why they were kind of in trouble with, with the law and why the FBI was involved, the CIA was involved. Uh, it's, it's very complex, but it, it reads in an interesting way. Like, like mm. truly, um, for conspiracy uh, enthusiasts, it's, it's an interesting read because you're, you're actually looking at, this is legitimately what happened. Here are the mm-hmm. people, here are the key players. Just, this is the, the sequence of events. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's been a number of years since I read it, but, but uh, I remember... Um, just kind of dropping my jaw and having to pick it up off the ground every so often because it was just like, what? Yeah. That happened? Like, for real? You know, that's, and then I see it amazing. repeated yeah. in other yeah. places and it's like, yeah, that's legit. Yeah, well, there's there's um, a, a lot of effort went into um, creating extra unnecessary fear around these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it it always bothers me when an element of fear is added to something. Like for example, if there's a medication, right, which has some some healing benefits for human beings and then also has some side effects, we don't need to amplify either side. Just discuss the effects, discuss the benefits, discuss what could be considered side effects, look at them for what they are, teach people about what they are. We don't need to upplay one side or downplay the other side. Mm. Because then what happens is when people realize that um, something has been exaggerated. Okay, so for example, the war on drugs has um, exaggerated the dangers. Not saying there aren't dangers there. Mm-hmm. You know, we wouldn't say that. You know, um, but to exaggerate the dangers, then when young people realize that there were exaggerations, now they don't trust you. Now they don't trust you, and now they throw caution to the wind, mm-hmm. and now they make themselves more vulnerable to the dangers that might actually be there. Yeah. You got to treat people as human beings, not as, uh, uh, you know, little children to be controlled. Yeah, exactly. The thing about 
psychedelics that's, I think, different than other drugs is that psychedelics um, has more of a capacity for opening up your ability to see things. Mm. What does that mean? Um, it means that it, it acts on the part of the mind that has to do with perception itself in a variety of really interesting ways that are different than, say, just an opiate or a dopamine situation like like cocaine mm. it's very okay. different yeah 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 um you know and this is definitely not something that's mm, particularly habit forming or addictive in the in the normal sense of the word yeah. not saying people can't fall into a habit of using it or misusing it just saying it's really not it doesn't lend itself to addiction as well as say heroin or alcohol does it doesn't yeah and it doesn't have the same harmful effects uh, and yet um as a class of experiences uh, of chemicals that can help can stimulate an experience, it's really unique because it focuses so much on perception, on awakening perception, on seeing things, hearing things, and feeling things from different perspectives and angles. Mm. I've always loved the analogy of psychedelics being either a microscope or a telescope. You know, you can look inwardly and see things in great detail, or you can look outwardly and see big, broad, large, long, far-reaching perspectives on things, uh, you know, about the universe cosmically, right? And you, you hear this expressed in poetry from people who have done plant medicines or psychedelics, um, and you see it in film and you read about it in books. And mm. I also love the analogy of it being either a mirror or a window. In the sense that they're a mirror, I think... You know, just the idea that it reflects back to you what you brought to the table when you when you took the psychedelic, when you went through the ritual, whatever it was, um, you are getting reflections all around you, um, and you tend to see yourself in things. Right? It's like it's being reflected back to you. So there's a, very much of a mirror-like quality there. Um, it's like a window because, well, when you look out of your house and you look outside, you see a whole new world out there. Psychedelics offers the opportunity to view a whole new world, you know, to look at a new dimension. It's a window into, into other realities. And it's also a window to your soul. Absolutely. And, and, and I would add to that that <clears throat> this is a good time to give credit to the original traditions where these things came from, mm -hmm. right? These were usually the substances um, managed by the shaman. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, uh, their cultural and spiritual practices, their religious practices, um, and they played a significant role and people who maybe don't agree with that sort of thing. Um, fine. Okay. Don't agree with it. But, um, we do have to apply cultural relativity. We have to understand that, um, if it's really valuable to the people in that culture, then, uh, we need to step off. Uh, I think part of the reason I feel that way is because I'm an acupuncturist. Mm -hmm. And there was a time in California when acupuncturists were practicing. Ronald Reagan was the governor uh, at the time, and he passed a law that made acupuncture illegal. And several acupuncturists were immediately arrested for practicing medicine without a license. Hmm. And one very famous one, Miriam Lee, um, apparently she was one of the people that sort of allowed herself to be arrested She's As kind a, of, she's very courageous. You an know act I mean? of social disobedience in a way. Yeah. And she got arrested and she had a, she was a very, very good acupuncturist, by the way. Very, mm -hmm. very good. Um, and um, Miriam Lee, uh, you know, was, was in court and scores of her patients showed up to protest. 
and to try to make a point and say, hey, look. A point? Was that a point? To make a point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were trying to get to the point. Yeah, they were trying to, they were trying to go deep. Yeah, and... uh, (laughs) Um, <clears throat> pierce the heart of the of the lawmakers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so what happened was um, their overall message was, you know, look, in a free country, we have a right to choose the form of healthcare that we feel is helping us, regardless of whatever whatever somebody else thinks, right? Mm-hmm. What happened was they made acupuncture uh, experimental. So then when you were doing it in universities and things like that, okay, it was okay. And then as time went on, uh, Jerry Brown became the governor and uh, made it legal. And today uh, the AMA is recommending it for certain things and there's, there's lots of research on it and, and, it, and it works. It's kind of a similar story to psychedelics in a way, right? Yeah. Um, that it was something that is ancient that was always there and then was criminalized. It was mm-hmm. put on top of it mm-hmm. and really made matters worse and took away something of value, at least to certain populations, if not potentially valuable to everybody. Right. And you got people who really aren't criminals in the normal sense of the word who are serving life prison sentences. Yeah. Now they're exposed to real criminals um, Mm -hmm. and forced to adapt in order to survive uh, in that environment, which is a really tricky thing to do. Absolutely. Um, You know, I think, most people would look at those folk as as just yes they technically broke the law however uh the mindset's very different yeah. if you compare them and their basic you know psychological makeup and and how they behave and all that kind of stuff very different than you know your average criminal yeah yeah you know it's, i think most people would agree that that's just not the same yeah and let's let's remember that little quote we looked at earlier from John Ehrlichman right? yeah he they they knew they were lying about it mm-hmm. when they made when they made the law. So right. the the law was never a righteous law. No. You know. very interesting study that was done it was it was kind of more data gathering it, it came from surveys and things they, they interviewed or they surveyed um, thousands of uh, marginalized women in Vancouver because marginalized females in urban settings tend to have a very high suicide rate and what they did is they looked at lifetime use of psychedelics that occurred naturalistically Right. So these were not experiments where they gave these substances to people. Mm -hmm. These are people that use them on their own in their own way sometime in their life. Right. And what they found was that among the people that had used psychedelics that were part of this group, they had about a 60% decrease hazard of suicide. The reason I point this out is this was not psychedelic assisted therapy that was studied. These were people (laughs) in an urban environment that took acid at a party or ate some mushrooms a couple times. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even those people that did it that way had a substantial decrease in their suicide risk. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to read their conclusion. All right. If I might. Right. Our findings demonstrate that naturalistic psychedelic drug use is independently associated with reduced suicidality. 
That's a word. That suicidality is a word. <laughs> and it was in a study, so it's a real word. Mm. Um, now, in their research, they did find that people that used crystal meth had increased suicide rates. Mm. And they did find that a history of child abuse had increased suicide rates. So we're looking at all these things in a naturalistic setting that happened on their own and then seeing a very, very clear outcome. I just want to push this point that I like this idea of, of natural use. Um, I, I, I'm not a big fan of the idea of these things becoming uh, legal only for medical purposes. Right. I think that's important because remember, these things came from the shamanistic world. Okay. Um, from, from ancient cultures. And um, there's wisdom in allowing that to, to coexist. I agree. We have to have some freedom uh, to work with our own bodies, our own minds. And, you know, the dangers are just really ridiculously overstated. Right. I'm not saying there aren't some, but if you look into it, it's really overstated. Yeah. Um, most people who have, well, aren't you worried about a bad trip? Guess what? Most people who've had bad trips go, yeah, it was a bad trip. It was terrible. And they're fine and they hold on a job and they have kids and they go out throughout their life and they, they tell mm-hmm. that little story about how they had a bad trip one day, one time yeah. and it's, it meant nothing really in the big picture of their life. It was nothing. Yeah. And then you say, well, you know, what else did you get out of it? And many times it's the very same people who had a bad trip, quote unquote, will be telling you, well, actually it was kind of cool because, and they'll tell you this other side of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just not sold on the whole idea of like, oh, be careful because you could have a bad trip. Like it's some kind of random yeah, thing that you, yeah. know, you spin the, the barrel and pull the trigger. It's a Russian roulette right, right. with your brain. To, no. to call it Russian roulette no is, way. A, is just a stupid analogy. Yeah, you know? it, it I takes mean, away the idea of set and setting. Like you have no intentionality yeah, in it at all. Right. And you know, um, I want to point out that um, uh, the person who invented LSD, Albert, Albert Hoffman, um, discovered. Who, yeah, discovered, right? Yeah. Because remember, he 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 um, modified chemicals from ergot fungus, right? Mm-hmm. So it does, you know, the basics of it does come from a plant, yeah. well, a, you know, a, a microscopic fungus. You know? It was on the shelf. He didn't yeah. know what to use it for. He spilled it on himself. Yeah. And, and then, wow, that's and then interesting. He had an experience, right? And then when he consciously chose to dose himself, because mm-hmm. I just read this in, in preparations for tonight, mm-hmm. he took 250 micrograms. Mm-hmm. It's a healthy dose. And the way he described it was a bad trip. Mm-hmm. Albert Hoffman's first like self-induced trip was a bad trip. Mm-hmm. But he, what he described after the trip was that it it changed him in, in wonderful ways. It's catharsis. It made his life better. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, what do they call that? A, a, you know, a healing crisis. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I, I would say going to the hospital and getting surgery is a bad trip to the hospital. Hell yeah. Uh, and it can hurt and it can be uncomfortable. It can be scary and it can save your life. Yeah. What's the best, worst thing that ever happened to you? There you go. Same thing. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, um, when I was a child, I had appendicitis. And it was terrifying and it was scary. And um, I had to get all kinds of uncomfortable tests. And, you know, uh, I remember going in for surgery and uh, they saved me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I had a child's fear with all that. But now it's over and I'm a healthy functioning adult doing a podcast right now. That's right. You know, <laughs> well, and, and, you know, we're talking about it in a sort of dissociated way, um, like overarching ideas, right? Mm-hmm. But there is a methodology that works. There is a technique. There's a, there's a way of having 
an experience with um, a psychoactive compound such as LSD, mescaline, uh, psilocybin, mushrooms, uh, you know, et cetera. Mm. There's a way of going about it that all but guarantees that you're going to have a profound, life-changing, uh, potentially healing experience. There is a way to transform and transmute a heavy, darker experience into into one that's filled with light and joy and bliss and discovery and healing. There is a structure that you can create for having a very conscious trip. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Why don't you uh, lay out the menu? How, How does this go? First of all, if you know what it is you're taking and the approximate dose that would be right, then the primary thing that has to happen is that um, you have to have the right mindset going in. And you've got to choose a setting that is not going to be dangerous or upsetting or you know complicated in ways that you don't anticipate. Mm. Um, if you do those two things, it's much easier to guarantee that you're going to have a good time. Um, if you have experience with controlling your thoughts and structuring your thoughts. Let's say you've done, I don't know, some meditation courses and you, you're a meditator, mm-hmm. you're a yoga, yoga practitioner, someone who really, really thinks about this stuff. Um, let's say you've done some psychotherapy for a while yeah. and you're in your, you're doing well. What would you say about even somebody who maybe has trained their mind a lot, like within academic disciplines or something? Maybe some- the caveat is if you've got a lot of heavy stuff going in mm. and you take a psychedelic, you're probably going to at some point have to deal with it. So if you're the kind of person who says, you know what, I, I do want to deal with it. I don't want to have this heavy stuff inside of me be um, something I have to suppress. I want to be able to learn from it. I want to be able to heal. If you have that attitude, then there are plenty of ways to go about bringing it out in a positive way. You can interact with your parts if you want to put it that way, like, you know, turn it into a parts thing where I've got a part of me that feels hatred towards X, Y, or Z, Mm -hmm. or I have a part of me that's afraid and terrified of X, Y, or Z. Those are parts. They're not all of you. Mm -hmm. It's not the entire person. It's a part. So in the old days, you might call that like a, well, if you want to use a psychological uh, metaphor, it's like, like you have demons. Yeah. You know, or if you've had bad experiences, they're like skeletons. Yeah. But really, I'm just saying parts. They're a part of you. Yeah. Yeah. You can bring those parts out and you can interact with them in a very vivid way under psychedelics, especially if you have a structure to work with. So it's always good if you haven't done a psychedelic, it's good to have a guide. You know, what does a psychopomp do, right? The the Greek psychopomp, Mm. like Hermes or any of these psychopomps, they guide you through the underworld. They take you from the living to the dead and back again, or vice versa, right? Just um, it's, it's there as a way of traversing the sea of consciousness. So you need to invoke protection and yeah. guidance. That might be in the form of a physical person and or if you have a philosophical or spiritual uh, tradition that you follow, it might mean calling upon, uh, quote unquote, the most high or... Um, truth or, um, you know, positive feeling. If if you're more of a humanist, you know, you can call upon truth and love and connectedness and understanding. Mm. If it's a religious thing, it might be calling upon your deity and asking for protection or an angel or, or your ancestors, um, Mm -hmm. like they do in a lot of traditions. But the point is that you assign another part of you 
yeah, uh, to witness and help you. Um, it's hypnosis. It's auto hypnosis. It's yeah. auto suggestion. Okay, and it's controlling your mental environment. That's the set part of it. You know, the mindset. Mm. And the physical person who has the experience, who's the psychopomp, um, acts as a person who can watch you, guide you where necessary, and stay the fuck away when not necessary. Like, literally back up and go, you know what? It's okay. That person might need to go through this. So so it takes a little bit of experience to know when to step back. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just all about that person saying, I'm here for you if you need me. But if it's if you're okay and you want to go through this right now on your own, that's okay too. Hmm. Because I believe in you. What is that? The preframe of that is I believe in you. I have faith that something inside of you is going to take you through this. Yeah, uh, and that can be encouraging. Okay. Uh, nice. An example I'd love to share is um, when I had my first experience, I took way too much. Okay. Um, I was um, I don't know maybe eighteen. And I took probably at least four times the recommended dose of uh, LSD. Okay. And it was my first time. And, um, you know, tripping balls might be the technical term for that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I was really, 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 really uh, in another state. And it didn't stop. So the next day, sun came out and the day was progressing. I was still feeling like I was there. And, and I'm, I'm mentioning this story because there was something that um, one of my best friends at the time said to me that had an effect because of the preframe of what he said. I said, yeah, I'm really, really upset because I think I'm, I've gone crazy and I'm never coming back and this is it for me. I've lost my mind and I feel terrible about it because, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to be the same. This is it. And I explained to him what happened. And he said to me, yeah, unfortunately, you are going to come down from this experience. I wish I could say you'd stay there forever. I wish I could stay there forever because it was an amazing, it's probably one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had. But unfortunately, you are coming down. And it kind of did this little loop in my head. I, I remember thinking, unfortunately? Here I am panicking. Yeah. I'm like scared. I've lost my mind. I did, made the most irresponsible choice of my life. I'm fucked. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I got off the phone. I went into the restroom. As I was washing my hands, and I kind of gazed up at the mirror. When I gazed up in the mirror, I saw two dark tunnels, which were called eyes, mm. <laughs> staring back at me. And in the reflection, I could see the t-shirt I had on, which was a happened to be a t-shirt of Jim Morrison and... I was about the same age as he was, maybe a little younger. Uh, we had a very similar look at that time, you know, same hair length, same body type and bone structure and things like that at the time. Um, and so peripherally, it's kind of like I was looking into the mirror, but I was also looking into this other mirror, which was my shirt. Yeah. And the energy of, of that embodiment, right, which was, you know, living that, style, that lifestyle and all that. And it occurred to me that, there was another way of experiencing this that was not based in fear, not based in worry or anxiety. Because I kind of thought like, why am I not enjoying this? What, what, what's, what's there to be afraid of? And I, and I kind of was thinking to myself like, who the fuck are you? I don't recognize you. This whole, you're scared and you lost your mind. Didn't you do this because you were curious about exploring 
your mind? And wasn't that your initial intention? So what are you complaining about? And so in that moment, all my fear flipped and I was now feeling really excited. So I went from feeling really, really depressed for hours mm. to, to feeling really, really excited. And then you came down. Well, and then I started coming down. <laughs> and, and I went in and I remember telling uh, my girlfriend at the time, my friends, I was like, you know what? Not only am I going to do it again, because I had said, oh, I'm never doing this again. Not only am I doing it again, I'm going to do it as soon as possible. And I can't wait. And they're like, they're looking at me like, who is this person? <laughs> he has lost his mind. He has right? lost his mind. Here he is like, you know, opposite end of the spectrum, pendulum swing here. Um, anyway, all that to say that, that a good psychopomp, a good guide, a psychedelic guide knows what to say at the right moment or what not to say. And they, it's, it's their quality of being, it's their, their therapeutic use of self, to use a mm. term we use, right? Um, that helps the experience go better. And whether a person is experiencing um, a pleasant experience or they're experiencing a more challenging experience that has more contrast in it, that's not the determining factor of a good trip or a bad trip as far as I'm concerned. Mm, a good okay. trip is any trip that you learn from, any trip that you take where you expand who you are and your model of the world, or you learn something important. So I don't find that bad experiences have to stay bad. Hundreds of times I've witnessed in others and in myself a bad experience unfolding into the best experience of their life or my life. A breakup leads to meeting the woman of your dreams or you lose one job only to find some other career that you've been meaning to do for a long time. I mean, things roll into other things. And if you accept that and you're into learning, if you're into the experience of expanding and speeding up your ability to transform, then you ought to do psychedelics. That's my recommendation. <laughs> do it. Because <clears throat> those, those conditions, if you can create them, um, will guarantee that you have a, a, a fantastic experience. Mm. One that's not just um, visually interesting, but one where you learn philosophically, you, you deepen your experience and appreciation for things. So to put that again, real simply, control your mindset, have a plan. What do you want to get out of this? What do you want to remember at the end of this? How do you want to feel when it's all said and done? Have a really clear set of objectives. Um, an objective could be more broad if you want to. It could be something like, I want to explore my mind, but have some details in there. Like what? What, what part of your mind do you want to discover? Leaving it wide open might not be the best strategy. You might want to say, I want to discover the genius in my mind. I want to learn the part of my mind that can handle anything. I want to learn about the part of my mind which can uh, see into other worlds and find solutions or think out of the box. Having a little bit of definition on that is useful. And the setting part is just choose a safe environment. Um, if it's going to be in a home, it's of a person that you trust that, that you wouldn't mind being yourself with. If you can be authentic with the crowd that you're doing it with, you're likely to have a better experience. If you can trust them that if you um, were going batshit crazy for, for 10 minutes, that they would love you and accept you either way. Um, <laughs> not to not to say that everyone takes psychedelics has that experience, but I'm just saying if you allow yourself to go through trauma 
to, to re-imprint or to um, go through a healing crisis, which can happen, mm. um, then you want to be with people who can accept you equanimously and, and see you for who you are, mm. um, not judging you. Yeah, because that yeah. secure attachment that you have with them can help stabilize you and allow you to um, reground, reroute yourself in the presence of um, people who know you. Yeah. That's yeah. very, very deep. And, you know, oftentimes there are a lot of people that that is not the way they, they've done it. Or that's oh, not the way they, they did it first. Somebody just on a whim pops something in the bathroom at a concert. Right. You know what I mean? And it's like, um, is that is that a wise way to yeah, that doesn't explore always go well. something like that for the first time? You know, yeah. I, I, would, I would think not. It you know. could go all right. It could. It, it could. could be amazing. <laughs> it's possible. Or it's, it may not it be too go. late, but you know. gone to Peru yeah, and you know, we did a whole episode about you mm. going to, in, uh, you know, doing the ayahuasca ceremony in mm. Peru. And so there's a shaman, right? Yeah. And so, um, uh, it sounded like a lot of these things that you just talked about, the advice that you just gave was sort of kind of naturally part of that tradition that's been there for a very long time that you have a guide and mm -hmm. that person has experience and wisdom and they've done this and they know how to, they, they know how to take people through it. They're creating a, a safe environment. It's got all those elements. It's set you know? in setting. Yeah. You know, um, when they do the ceremony of creating a circle, you know, that's a miniature version of the universe. Mm. It's a circle. Yeah, right? it's, nice. it's a representation of everything that is. Um, it's also kind of an agreement. It's an agreement that we're going to stay within each other's energy and within mm. each other's perceptions. We're not going to go wandering out um, into the nowhere land in the middle of the night. Um, we're going to stay where we can keep some sort of track of one. Right. Let's not go pet the jaguars. Yeah. Right. Um, the burning of, of sacred incenses, well, that creates a beautiful smell, which has a primal effect on the limbic system. These beautiful aromas have been long used for um, clearing the air. Mm. Um, they would say um, raising the vibration of the space, uh, calling in angelic beings or deities and banishing negative entities and negative spirits. That's a very animistic spiritistic kind of description sure but there's a certain logic to it as well yeah um, if you yeah. you don't have to believe all that necessarily in order to get benefit from going through those steps um i personally am like you you know we're open-minded skeptics i, I like mm -hmm. to to go with it you know if maybe there are and and let's let's just go with that because it makes most sense it's mm -hmm. easiest um for the subconscious mind and for the whole experience just to believe that there is something yeah. special that's yeah. Yeah. being called in. There's, there's nothing wrong with playing along and behaving as though it were true, right. even if you don't know. What harm is that? Yeah, that's fun. It's just fun. Um, yeah. You know, it's, a, it's an added layer of story that can be quite beautiful, if nothing else. Mm. Um, and I would just say from years and years of experiencing this that um, it's really hard to argue with the experience, at least for me. Yeah. I'm not trying yeah. to prove this to anybody else, just saying like for me, um, you know, that's been my 
anecdotal experience sure, and I'm sure. sticking to it, you know? Well, you know, um, it's been popular, um, in news articles and uh, there's a Ted talk and so on and so forth about uh, the studies that have been done on, uh, MDMA and mm-hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, ecstasy and, 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 um, uh, PTSD. And uh, these studies were very, very successful. I mean, they're absolute breakthroughs in the ability to uh, get real results with this population. And they followed the advice that you gave by having psychotherapy before, during, and after um, two to three experiences Mm -hmm. of MDMA. They were the guides. They were able to, you know, guide the experience towards positivity they didn't do it in like a hospital setting. They mm-hmm. made the room pretty and they made it nice and familiar objects and yeah. art and, you know, mm-hmm. a nice cushy couch and non-clinical. Yeah. They made it non-clinical yeah. and they did clinical things while they were there. They checked blood pressure and temperature and, you know, all the vital signs and all that stuff, you know, and the things that could be a little bit, a little bit clinical, but, uh, uh for the most part, when you're doing or or the studies that have been done where they're doing the um, uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, they're basically just following this. They're following what the shamans and the hippies have been doing all along. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. And so it's kind of interesting. It sort of brings up, uh, you know, an elephant in the room. All these studies are being done because the people doing them know that this is going to (laughs) work. Yeah. So the knowledge and the inspiration to do these studies had to come from people using these things illegally. Mm-hmm. It's an elephant in the room, but yeah. let's get it out there. You know what I mean? Um, um, Ralph Metzner just died, I think, last year. He was a psychotherapist doing LSD-assisted psychotherapy and, and things like that. Uh, and he was one of those original guys doing research. Um, and he probably did a lot of it under the radar kind of thing mm, okay. um, until he died. But um yeah. He had some interesting points of view about it. I mean, he was very much in line with what we're saying. Yeah, yeah. Because, because yeah, you're right. A lot of this stuff uh, was done illegally. Yeah. Um, but with the best of intentions and great things came out of it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there well, are still some of those original research cases um, who, for example, ex-alcoholics who did... LSD assisted psychotherapy who still to this very day, 40 years later, 50 years later, have not touched a drop of alcohol. Yeah. It changed them. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's pretty like a amazing. deep reset. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Which is one of the things they say, you know, they say like, like if you do a sufficient dose under the right conditions, it's like mm-hmm. hitting the reset button on a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. You can yeah. get underneath the trauma. And, and, and this is, this is where the intention work that you were talking about comes into play. Like if mm-hmm. somebody were to just, you know, like I said, take some LSD in the bathroom at a concert, they may not come out of, they may, but they may not come out of that experience uh, no longer craving alcohol, right? But the idea is when you go into that experience with intent, hey, we're doing this to um, uh, look inside about about issues around that, Mm -hmm. you know, and you you focus the lens on that, um, then there you go. It's like you said, using it as a microscope or a telescope. Mm -hmm. You got to aim at something. You know, if you're using yeah. a telescope, you kind of need to like, I, I'd like to see the moon. You got to have right. some intent and aim it and, and then you can see the moon better. You know, you have to know your why, because this is the pre-frame, right? The presupposition that you're uh, taking before you even begin. Mm-hmm. Um, you take it at the, the concert. Could it be this situation where um, you're having to sneak it? You're hiding. It's loud. 
it's dirty, it's um, perhaps not comfortable. Um, you're taking this thing maybe with a lack of respect. Maybe you're taking it as though it's just sort of like just another drug, mm-hmm. you know, and that forms your set, you know, your mindset as you begin. And that's one of the two things that's important for having a good trip mm-hmm. is set and setting. Yeah. So what's the set when you take it randomly at a concert like that without much consideration is probably pretty random mm-hmm. versus someone who has uh, an intention of healing, who does it in an environment where they can meditate for a few minutes, set an intention, say some prayers, do something ritualistic to kind of mark out the territory, so to speak, for the next 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, those things do imply a certain pre-frame, a certain set of presuppositions. I'm doing this thing that's sacred. I'm taking it into my body with the understanding that it's potentially going to heal me, potentially going to reveal something about my about me that could be useful. And I'm in it to win it. I'm in with both feet. I'm, I'm going to be uh, fully mindful of everything that comes up along the way. And I'm ready. So it's a very different mm-hmm. set of pre-frames there, different yeah set of ideas when you walk in and that's going to change what comes up yeah can we jump into um some myths oh yeah yeah let's just jump into some myths um i'm just trying to reflect on things i heard as a kid growing up in Mm -hmm. school uh it'll damage your dna wrong (laughs) (laughs) not true Uh, yeah um the experiment that that was based on um they basically did the equivalent of taking a vial of lsd and pouring it onto some chromosomes in a Petri dish. That is the most stupid, (laughs) ridiculous, unscientific way of testing it. Um, So that was like, that wasn't even, okay. If you took a sugar solution or a caffeine solution, it would have done the same thing. It would have damaged the chromosomes. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, So just, it just, it's not true. Okay. Um, It just isn't. Wow. (laughs) Look it up. Yeah. That's all I can say. That's just not true. We we, we already dispelled um, uh, the suicide Versus you're going to jump off a building. In right. fact, we talked about how it actually does the opposite. It actually decreases your chances of doing something like that. Yeah, but let's let's deal with the the, you know, in all honesty. Yeah, if you're a disturbed person, how would you know that? If you do have suicidal ideations, suicidal tendencies, if you are a yeah. person who uh, doesn't handle life very well mm-hmm. at all, and you're not doing well, mm-hmm. and someone doses you with a powerful psychedelic and you're not aware of it, there is a chance that you could do something harmful to yourself. Sure, sure, absolutely. That's just because you right. don't know what you're getting into and you don't have any talent or skill developed with how to handle life and then suddenly you throw a psychedelic on it. Well, yeah, it's gonna be act like a lens. Yeah. It's gonna focus on what it is you're used to focusing on, which is the negative stuff. Mm-hmm. So could you potentially do something harmful to yourself? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's possible. Of course, of course. Yeah, but psychedelics don't, by nature, cause you to do that. And there's more of a likelihood that you're going to get lost in a bed of flowers somewhere and enjoy that <laughs> before you ever get to the top of the building and throw yourself off. Yeah, and you're like, wow, these flowers are gorgeous. Wow, look at that little caterpillar. You know, it's alive. Isn't that cool? And I think I'm part of that caterpillar, and maybe it's part of me. And wow, it's a big world. I mean, it's much more likely to get lost in, right, in, right. in something interesting like that because you become more childlike. Mm-hmm. Uh, psychedelics are highly addictive. True or false? It doesn't affect the dopamine the way other drugs do. So mm-hmm. you could use um, anything. 
as a way of escaping. But addiction is a medical term, you know? Yeah. So if it's truly addictive, then it's creating some kind of a feedback loop in the brain that causes you to crave it. Mm -hmm. And psychedelics have a very low risk for that because number one, um, they don't stimulate the same systems, right? They work on a completely different pathway. Secondly, um, the experience can be a little bit uncomfortable. It's not exactly a joy trip the whole way through as much as I've loved it. There's some nervousness. There's some discomfort when you go through it. It's not always easy. Um, it's no guarantee of being a, a bliss fest the whole time. Uh, you might have to confront some stuff. Um, at the end, you'll be happy you did, but it's not exactly, uh, like other drugs where you can ignore your problems and dull your pain. That's sure. not what psychedelics do. They, if anything, they make you rudely aware yeah. of what's there. Right. All, all indications um, are that, um, afterwards, it's probably the last thing somebody wants to do for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for, for Usually, while anyways, yeah. you know, they do it once and they're like, you want to do it again? Mm, no, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> good, for, good for a while. I'm good yeah. for a while. Yeah. Uh, cause yeah. it's intense. There's a lot to process. Uh -huh. There's the whole, you know, microdosing thing that's been very popular. We don't know yeah, for sure that, that it's that, but like, gosh. Yeah, the, the rumors are that that's the whole tech industry. Yeah, <laughs> right? It's all exactly. the engineers are microdosing. And and, and and for the listener, mm -hmm. a microdose is, is maybe mm, maybe like a tenth or even a twentieth of, a, of an active dose. Yeah. Um, MAPS had uh, done some very interesting uh, research and... Um, uh, they found the microdosing to be very well tolerated, mm -hmm. um, really helped out with people's moods, with depression, um, and um, did boost creativity. You know, um, that's, that's some pretty amazing things that they reported. Mm. Um, so uh, it was, this, it's hard to say there isn't something there, you know. It is. Um, you know, they are doing some placebo-controlled studies now. Mm -hmm. So we're going to find out what if anything, microdosing does, you know, yeah. is it just placebo effect? Cause if so, you know, some of the experiences that people report might be, mm -hmm. um, but I suspect not. I suspect that there's something else going on, uh, there, uh, yeah. that, that cumulatively happens when you take, uh, a microdose of, you know, psilocybin or LSD or mescaline. Yeah. Um, I do. Um, I think that that's, we've already seen examples where people have taken standardized doses, like, um, you know, hundred or 250, someone like, um, Walt Disney, for yeah. example, okay. you know, who took, took those things and, and Cary Grant, yeah. Archibald Leach, right. <laughs> Cary Grant, who, who, you know, both of whom, um, have great things to say about it. Yeah. Right. You know, Dr. Stanislav Grof and a lot of these, uh, early research, um, subjects and researchers mm -hmm. that talk about it um, being really, really important. Do you ever listen to Jason Solva? Yes. He's great. You know, yeah, the YouTube um, guy. The YouTube guy. Yeah. He's, he's, beautiful I, rants. I wonderful, see wonderful, beautiful rants. And listen yeah. to his wonderful rants on Instagram. I follow him on Instagram. He's mm -hmm. a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, he speaks fluent Spanish, by the way. I just saw him speaking oh, and doing his muy bien uh, uh, <laughs> psychedelic rant in okay. Espanol. So you oh, can check that cool. out. cool. Um, oh, but he's quite eloquent in Spanish too. Um, I love that he talks about the power of psychedelics a lot. Mm. It's not something that comes up every so often. It's a lot. Um, and I think it stimulates and fuels a lot of his exploration into love, passion, healing, forgiveness, um, loving the numinous, you know, the, the great 
expanse of life and everything in it and how he falls in love with that sensory mm. experience and describes that along the way. And it's very much like, you know, for the listener who hasn't taken a psychedelic, you can look up Jason Silva, relax, dim the lights and let him talk you into a trip <laughs> because that's a great sort of experience of like how one thought rolls into another, into another, into another. And it's like you're, you're tumbling delightfully through a, a a set of images and mm. it's it's a gallery of images that he's taking you on it's really um stimulating and amazing mm. and and blissful if you let it mm -hmm. you know if you can follow it and just kind of let it go and just drift with it it's pretty nice he's very poetic in his delivery very nice yeah Our senses are things that become areas of focus when you're on a psychedelic. The other thing that happens is that you begin to develop the capacity to use your senses in unique ways. One of those examples is synesthesia, where mm -hmm. your senses are crossed. You, you can, for example, taste color, you know, see a sound. The parts of your brain that are involved with processing those sensory stimuli, um, they kind of become connected in a way that's maybe unusual. And so we start to process data differently than we normally do. Now, rather than looking at that as a dysfunction, I look at that as an, an, an increased function. Because now you're using more than one thing to understand the thing you used to use only one thing to understand. Mm-hmm. So there is a, an enrichment of experience that I think is pretty powerful. Wow. Synesthesia. I become more of a synesthete. Um, and I, I think as, a, as an adolescent, I was doing some synesthetic things. You know, I was leaving my body and passing through walls and having out-of-body experiences and weird, weird shit. Mm -hmm. um, but in my late teens and early 20s, as I began to experiment with psychedelics, I began to just sort of spontaneously have that happen again. And I think it's because it was doing some of the same stuff mm, inside my head. Okay. That, yeah. So that, that's definitely not a, a hindrance to intelligence. If anything, it expands the range of your intelligence. Yeah. If you yeah. let it. Sure, sure. Well, you know, um, I've seen some wonderful documentaries on, on some of these topics. And... Um, there's one that comes to mind that I found to be, uh, this is, this is somebody's report. Um, this was one of the, one of the studies that was done using um, psilocybin for um, people in end of life care, people on hospice. Mm. When somebody's on hospice, basically the idea is they have a terminal illness and they're expected to live only a certain amount of time, right? Mm. That doesn't necessarily mean they're like they're dying like tonight, but, but it could, it could be, you know, weeks, months, you know, uh, this woman um, had cancer and she reported that she was feeling a lot of guilt because um, she knew that, you know, a year from now she's gone and her adolescent daughter was going to be having to live in this world on her own, you know, without mom's guidance. And she was feeling a lot of um, guilt, you know, about that. So she went into the experience and she took the psilocybin 
mushrooms, right? I think they, they made a pill or something probably because it was, it was a clinical trial. And there was a guide there and she's laying in a hospital bed. And she said that as she laid there on her bed, she felt the bed transform into hands. Hmm. And uh, she described this as a beautiful, comfortable experience. Not like a scale, like creepy hands or something, right? <laughs> Nothing like that. It was like... <laughs> and it wasn't jazz hands. Right? No, not jazz hands. Okay. It was... It was um, the, the hands represented the universe and it was holding her and supporting her. Mm-hmm. And in this experience, she said that she realized that those hands of the universe have always been there supporting her. And that they'd be there for her daughter when she's gone. And that, every time I even think about it, I get goosebumps. Yeah. Because that's a very powerful experience for a human to have. Just to go from, I feel guilty because I'm going to die and leave my daughter alone, to, wow, I've always been supported by the universe and so will my daughter. Wow. That is a very transformative experience for somebody to have. Well, listen to the language. You know, it's like you've went into the past and you've changed it. Yeah. Not just the present. That's but everything right. is accessed from the present. Yeah. Right. E- even the future, even the future <laughs> was changed. The best way to predict the future is to create it. Nice. Right. Yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you're, um, you're reminding me, uh, this whole idea of laying in the hands thing. Um, I used to be afraid of spiders. Okay. And, um, one day <laughs> I was walking along in the evening, uh, somewhere in, uh, Newport slash Corona Del Mar. And um, I was with a dear friend whom you know very well. Okay. Um, you have known most of my life. Okay. Um, and I think we took a quite a large amount of mushrooms, if I am not mistaken. I think we may have taken probably, I don't know, four times the standard dose okay. at least. Uh, we were into kind of pushing the edge of the envelope in those days. Mm-hmm. Anyway... Um, we were wandering amongst the beautiful, expensive homes. Um, sorry, Newport. Um, <laughs> there are creepy people walking around in the middle of the night. But yeah, we were walking around. We weren't creepy, but we were... And they're not even rich. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not then. Um, at some point, this overwhelming, I guess you call it a sleepiness or something, a soporific mm-hmm. kind of quality was was starting to creep through my bones. And, okay. And... I almost heard or felt, this is what I'm talking about, synesthesia, right? Yeah. You know, I'm not sure if I heard it, felt it, or saw it. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but I was drawn to this uh, bed of ivy, speaking of beds, and this great ficus tree that was surrounding it and kind of overhanging uh, its branches and leaves. And I crawled up on top of it. It was a little bit raised, this raised bed. And I laid down. I was in my, you know... I think I was probably wearing black boots and a leather jacket. That wasn't like my standard issue at the time with jeans. (laughs) And I laid down in the ivy and it was as though I was hearing this chorus of beautiful lullabies and songs and fairy music and and whatever. And I laid down and uh, my friend was was there. Our friend was there. Mm. And um, as I laid there for a moment, it occurred to me, oh yes, this is a bed of ivy. There are tons and tons and tons of bugs, especially spiders ants and you name it. Mm -hmm. But I laid there and there was a certain point at which I decided that that was not the case, that I could trust whatever it was that was um, beckoning me to lay, Mm. to lie down. Yeah. So I I lay there and uh, I felt so incredibly comfortable that I imagined that I was almost dissolving into the ivy. 
Okay. And at this point, it became more of not just a, a mental picture, but a, but a kinesthetic feeling as though the roots, the branches, the ivy, the leaves, um, everything about my current state was just all connected as one unit, one, one universe together. And I felt so extremely loved. Suddenly, my heart opened like you would not believe. I felt that um, grandmother tree or, you know, Gaia or something, some feminine, wise, protective, nurturing energy was cradling me. And it was cradling me so deeply. It's like if I could have burst into tears, I would have. It was just so blissful at the same time. Mm. I just completely surrendered to this being nurtured feeling. And at that point, the sounds that I was hearing, whether they were real or imaginary, was as though I was hearing every little bug in the entire environment I was in, mm. chirping and grinding and walking. And I started to feel as though it wouldn't matter if they were working their way through my hair, my ears, my along my neck or in my clothes. It didn't matter to me. I just, mm. I decided to be so equanimous and just let go and be in harmony, almost as though... Um, there are there are no enemies here. There, there, we're just doing this together, and we yeah. are one. Um, which is another quality of psychedelics is that unification experience that happens for a lot of people who take them. So I'm laying there, and um, I felt perfectly comfortable. I did feel like there were insects crawling on me, but I didn't feel irritated by it. I relaxed, and after a little while, um, I, it completed its cycle of whatever it was doing in that experience for me. I felt very alert, very clear, very peaceful. I remember sitting up and kind of thinking I was going to have to get all these bugs off of me, and I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I felt so extremely lucid at that point. So I, so I emerged from this beautiful spiritual nap, if you will, feeling so incredibly crystal clear. Every mm. thought, every word, I felt in complete control of my body, um, really unified. There was just absolute clarity. It's like I was coming out of um, deep meditation or something. Mm. It was really, really cool. Nice. And it was all about surrendering. And I remember learning something about letting go and trusting your environment. That has always stuck with me. Wow. And it sounds like you really rewired your neurons around that issue. I did. And from then on, I was not afraid of spiders. What a beautiful story. Yeah. Gosh, what a beautiful story. great advantage that I found in my exploration into psychedelics is this whole idea of um, getting in touch with your primal awareness. We talked about senses. Okay. That's a big part of that. But I feel that, that there's a side of me which is underneath um, you know, the cultured version of me and is underneath um, those memories and, and exists... Um, instinctually and there may be something else beyond that instinct as well um, maybe a part of me which can relearn the environment from a different set of experiences so when i first took psychedelics um, i really really had this intention that i would um, explore what was possible and i trusted that 
um, nature was my friend that I could learn from nature, you know? So the idea of great spirit, you know, the idea of, um, the Tao was already in my mind mm. when I took it. Mm-hmm. So when I would take these things naturally, uh, I would go to what I knew. I would breathe. I would stand. I would feel my posture. I would do Kung Fu. I would climb. I would crawl around. I would transform myself into animals and adopt their postures and make their sounds. And I would have um, kind of hypnotic, self-induced ecstasy, you know, ecstasis, right? This, these experiences mm-hmm. of, of, of whipping myself up into a, a fury of, of, of feelings mm-hmm. and then channeling that to create gnosis. Okay. Because that whole idea of, of having like a, an atavism, you know, an atavistic resurgence, a part of your deep, uh, like, say, like, like, do you remember uh, um, the movie and the book uh, Altered States? Yes. Love right? that movie. John C. Lilly yeah. and all that. Yeah. Um, when he became temporarily like a primal human. Yeah. That was an example of an atavistic resurgence. Okay. You know, this... When an ancient, um, an earlier form of something um, kind of spontaneously shows back up again in the, in the lineage of, of birth, right? You, occasionally, see, you see this in fish and reptiles sometimes mm-hmm. where a trait like having a, an extra spot or something suddenly pops back in. Mm-hmm. And you're like, where the hell did that come from? Yeah. And so they call that an, an atavistic resurgence. Okay. So there's a sort of psycho-spiritual version of that, which is... Um, explored in chaos magic and in various um, primal teachings that, uh, and in shamanism and things, this idea that you can uh, awaken earlier memories from before you were born because you contain everything within you already. Right. You're just a continuation of an ancient process. And right. so you can access so if you it can somehow. resonate mm. in the right way for long enough that it would just happen. Yeah. So I had some strange experiences hmm. in that department. And I think that, Psychedelics offer um, a menu of experiences like that, which could be life-changing. Wow. You know, um, and you know, it's, it's just quickly worth noting that John C. Lilly was a, a very big fan of ketamine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he did quite a bit of LSD. Yeah, he did other things too. Yeah, but he, he mapped was, consciousness. Yeah, that's what he was doing. He was a consciousness researcher and he developed the sensory deprivation tank. Yeah. And uh, I guess was was a very big fan of ketamine, using that in the tanks as part of his, his research. There's so. a fascinating interview of him that uh, um, Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove did. Yes. Do you remember that? I know the one you're was, talking about. And he's, he's wearing, wearing the, the, like, cap, the, the, the coon hat. The coon hat, yeah, with the tail <laughs> yeah, and everything. That's hilarious. great. That's great. He, yeah. And he came accompanied with his, his uh, lady or ladies. Okay. If I remember oh, correctly. Man, that's great. Yeah, he was, he was a trip. Yeah, um, literally and figuratively. Yeah. yeah. Um, Very nice. So anyway, uh, primal awareness, I think that's, that's a big memory. And, and at this stage, you know, as almost 48, I would say, <clears throat> I have to be a little more careful about how much primal awareness I, I you know, activate because um, okay. the body is, is in a different state than it was when yeah. I was in my early 20s. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't think I would be running down the mountain quite the same way as I did in my 20s. But, right, right. Um, Think twice before jumping yeah. off something a little too high. Certainly yeah. exploring, exploring a bit, and certainly yeah. uh, uh, testing my limits a little. You know, yeah. if you don't do that, you never gain anything. Right, you right. Know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Yeah. 
You have to have a, a, a sense of courage when you do psychedelics. You don't have to be unafraid. And I want to be clear on that. Sure. A sense of courage means you get that this is really important. You're doing it anyway. It's not that you're unafraid. I, I was um, absolutely moving forward in spite of the fear. Because yeah. you know, as we say in NLP, you're, you're always proceeding forward with a lack of knowledge. You never know what you're getting into. Right. It's not about having everything being predictable and knowing, you know, it's yeah. about not knowing. Yeah. Right. Um, well, you know, um, somebody had, um, given Alan Watts LSD, mm. Alan Watts, the great, you know, <clears throat> philosopher. Um, and he had a lot of positive things to say about it. I, I remember hearing one of his talks about this and, he, he tackled the question as to whether everybody should do it or not. And I, I've shared this with you before. Um, mm. I thought he gave a brilliant answer. You know, it's like basically, you know, would you, would you, you know, encourage everybody to use psychedelics, you know? And he said, well, it's like sailing a sailboat around the world. Yeah. It's an amazing experience. And, for those people who need to sail a sailboat around the world, yes, they should do it, but not necessarily everybody should get in a sailboat and sail around the world. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, not everyone should do psychedelics. How would you know? I think the first filter is, do you have a genuine desire? That's number one. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, Along with that, you have to be honest with yourself about your mental health. I don't think it's wise to do it lightly. It should be done with respect. That much we can agree with the ancient model, right? The shamanic mm -hmm. model. Mm -hmm. Have respect for yourself and for the substance you're going to ingest mm -hmm. if you do it. <clears throat> and um, do your research. Satisfy your mind. You know, you have a, a mind for a reason. You know, your head is telling you this or that. So, so do some, do some investigation. Don't, don't uh, be satisfied until you feel satisfied about it. Mm -hmm. And then check in with your heart. What does your heart say? Is there potential for growth here? Could you, you know, potentially stand to walk away with some powerful tools? And, um, I think if you ask your head and your heart and you get them in line, you're probably good to go, mm. you know, but other than that, you know, some people have raised the, the objection. This is what I hear sometimes. Well, I already do all that. Why would I need to do that? I don't need to do that. Blah, 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 blah right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I hear that. And it's like, you're right. You don't have to. And you can't really speak about the experience until you've had it. So anything that you might think that you're um, not doing, you probably don't have any clue because you haven't done it. Once you have done it, well, then you've done it and... Welcome to the club. But until then, you're just talking about it as though you know about it, but you can't. No one can tell you what the matrix is. <laughs> you have to experience it for yourself. And once you do, um, you'll likely not regret it, and you'll likely have a lot of um, things in the world that will remind you that you're not the only one, that, that you're joining a company of people in this planet who for centuries and centuries done this. So it's um, really not something to be afraid of. It's definitely just something to respect. Um, 
as to whether or not the states of mind that you achieve are real. I think that deserves some comment because you and I grew up in a tradition where um, we were hearing things like, oh, those states, you know, they're going to um, uh, damage your aura or um, yeah. it's going to cause you to have lifetimes of work to do on yourself because you've damaged yourself. And yeah, there's you'll, a lot burn, of you'll burn out your throat chakra. Right, all you know, these different sort of... You'll go blind in your third eye. And they're basically um, the same thing. It's the it's 1950s uh, fear-mongering uh, dressed up as, um, you know, spiritual psychobabble. Um, it's not true. Um, and there are enough anecdotal sort of references to spiritual teachers who are considered high level spiritual teachers who have lots of things to say that are, you know, that would counter that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's still your critical faculty that has to be engaged. You know, do, why would you say that? How could you possibly know? Um, and how many times have you been exposed to someone who probably has done it many, many times and you just didn't know? If they suddenly said, hey, by the way, I've done it a hundred times, would you then suddenly change your opinion of them simply because they now told you that they've been doing it? When all of these months or years they, you've been trusting their guidance? Mm -hmm. you know, That's the thing that, that really reveals how unscientific and how uncritical those statements are. Um, you wouldn't know whether your teacher has done it or not, unless they told you the truth. Mm -hmm. And they, it may not be a safe environment, especially in, a, in an environment where there's so much fear and you know, fear of punishment and yeah. stigma and all sure, that. Sure, people sure. don't tell you. So there are lots of people who have turned on yeah, and they just didn't tell you. You found out um, maybe later, maybe they told you later, but you know. So um, the states being real, um, I think that's a problem statement in itself because I do too. Actually. What is real? Yeah. It gets down to that silly old thing. What is real? Right. Yeah. Um, if you can demonstrate that what you've learned is effectively changing the way you do the world, as far as I'm concerned, that's real. If you have a realization mm -hmm. while in a trip that, um, you are in charge of your life and you need to make better choices and suddenly you start making better choices. How can you then claim that that spiritual realization wasn't a real spiritual realization if it actually right. changed your life? Yeah. You are no longer afraid of spiders. Right. That's a fact. Right. Um, That's real. Right. When you have deepened appreciation, it's deepened appreciation. If you're pointing to the examples of people who've misused it, as your example for why psychedelics are wrong or bad or bad for you, well then again, that's, that's again the straw man argument. That's pointing to something that isn't really the argument at all. Yeah, let's, let's throw all the scalpels away because somebody got stabbed in an alley. Right, it's apples and oranges kind of thing. is a communal and um, tribal element to psychedelics. It yeah. always has been that way. Yeah. And when you do it in a tribe of people that you care about, you learn more and you anchor in that learning for each other. 
Mm. So it can become a very beautiful experience. And and when you go to cultures like I did in, in Peru, where you see um, these native people, um, they live that way. It's, it's, it's very matter of fact, like plant medicines and psychedelics are very much just a part of life. There's nothing um, unusual about it. It's just sacred, but it's not unusual. Sacredness yeah. is part of their life. Yeah. And so it's woven literally into the tapestry of their life. Yeah. Not just the stories, yeah. but physically they're weaving fabric, telling stories <laughs> in fabric, you know, um, yeah, not yeah. just metaphorically. It's yeah. um, funny. And it's right there. Uh-huh. You know, eating the mushrooms and the shaman and this and various, you know, experiences and spirit. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, so um, anyway, uh, having a group of people that you trust and love that you can experience psychedelics with is a uh, powerful and I think maybe even a necessary social good. Mm. It'd be really good for the planet if there were more pockets of people doing it. Mm. Yeah. Like I said, not, not everyone, but... Sure, sure. Certainly. More sailors. More of them. More, more sailors. More sailors. Yeah, appreciating yeah. the ocean. Psychonauts, right? Psychonauts. They're sailors of the mind. You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. The show is produced by Oliver Altin. That's me. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Oliver Altin. That's me again. If you're interested, this song is part of an album I did called Obsidian Kite, which you can find wherever you get your music. Check it out. It's fun. Please remember to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. We're all over the place. And find us on social media. Leave us a comment. Drop us a line. We would love to hear from you. And our actual website is AuthenticityShow.com. Thank you for listening. And have an authentic day. Authenticity.